0: So I Married an Alcoholic is sponsored by RealtorAndABaby.com. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease real estate? Even if you're not in greater Philadelphia, reach out with your contact information so you can be connected with the most qualified realtor in your area.
1: Baby at gmail.com.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> derelicts. I
1: was just going to say alcoholics. Addicts. And not.
0: Socialites.
1: Normal people.
0: Dumpster rats. Everyone. We're all inclusive.
1: Absolutely.
0: Welcome to episode 18 of So I Married an Alcoholic. I'm Chris. I'm an alcoholic.
1: And I'm Megan, and I'm an alcoholic.
0: Absolutely amazing that we've actually made it to the 18th episode.
1: I know. It's so crazy. It's become an adult today.
0: It certainly has. So congratulations on your age of maturity.
1: We will register it to vote.
0: And send it to get Newports.
1: <laughs> Do you remember your 18th birthday, honey?
0: It can also fight in the war. Yes. I do remember my 18th birthday.
1: Tell us about it.
0: I went to the titty bar.
1: Did you really? Of course. Do you have to be 18 to go to the titty bar?
0: In uh, Well, definitely in Massachusetts. Uh, Obviously, you can't drink, but you can still go see the titties.
1: Oh, that's good.
0: Because I don't think a lot of people are going to the gentlemen's clubs like... Sober? To have a soda.
1: (laughs) Well, you would have to now. (laughs) Is that why you don't partake?
0: That is why I don't partake and because, of course, I'm like madly in love with you, blah, 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 <laughs> stroke, stroke. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I, I went to the titty bar. Um, I don't think I went with my dad, but interestingly enough, somebody that worked at my parents' bar slash restaurant also moonlighted as a stripper. So Nice. I got to see her coochamool.
1: That's a little bit, um, okay. And then you went to work with her after school the next day.
0: Yeah. That
1: makes sense.
0: And it wasn't awkward at all. I'm
1: sure not.
0: I was like, hey, I've seen your veg
1: Better than in the storage closet, I guess, at work.
0: Now go grab a case of <laughs> Bud Light and throw it in the fridge.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, what can I say? It's fine. I mean, I don't care. I, I, Do believe,
0: I believe it's a rite of passage if Mac wants to go to the titty bar on his 18th birthday. I will gladly take him. I see no issues with it. Okay. Do you think Big Jim took Little Jim?
1: I don't. No. I do not. <laughs> I do not think that happened. <laughs> Again,
0: as we've discussed many times before, we came from very different families. <laughs>
1: we'll have to ask him.
0: It's uh, just one more shining example.
1: Have you been to the titty bar since with Dick?
0: Uh, probably.
1: Okay. You don't remember it.
0: I, it's not that I don't remember it. I don't necessarily think it's like a huge deal.
1: No, I actually don't either. You know that doesn't bother me.
0: No. and like I know guys that spend a lot of time and, of course, money, obviously, goes hand-in-hand hand with time at the strip club.
1: Mm-hmm. But it's just not my thing. No, I know. That's probably why it doesn't bother me. It probably would bother me if you were spending your time and money there.
0: Of course it would.
1: Yeah, but no, I'm like, take your clothes off, girls. Have at it. My husband doesn't like going, so I'm good.
0: Yeah. not uh, Not only am I not a boob guy, but interestingly enough strip clubs are not one of my leisure activities (laughs) shocking (laughs) i'm not an athlete i don't like throwing anything and that includes dollars
1: insults you like to throw insults i
0: do i like to hurl insults it's a lot less physically taxing uh what what were we gonna talk about oh so in an epic parenting fail on my part
1: I wonder if I know about this.
0: No, of course not. Okay. This is going to be interesting. Remember
1: we talked about surprising me on air?
0: It's not on air yet. Okay. It's just you and I Mm chit-chatting in the boob studio. (laughs) Anywho, a little bit of an epic parenting fail this past week. So I am super busy at work. Megan is super busy at work. I'm like stressed out to the max. Anyways, you know how we all enjoy a little cocoa melon?
1: Yes.
0: So my uh, fun meter on Coco Melon was pegged this past week. <laughs> and I was really fucking tired of hearing Old McDonald and all that bullshit. Yes. So I l- literally lost my shit.
1: On Coco Melon?
0: There's, there's literally, by the way, ding, ding, ding. Yeah. Let's get that out of the way nice and early. And I decided that Frankie and I were going to do a little change of scenery. Yes. And we decided that Andrew Dice Clay was going to be our nursery rhyme deliverer for an hour or two.
1: How was it?
0: Very interesting. Really? I don't think Frankie necessarily responded to the Dice Man as well as I did.
1: She wasn't doing the dance?
0: (laughs) I think she was a little more freaked out, if you will. (laughs) But uh, she did learn a couple of things about Little Boy Blue. (laughs) Uh, and the old woman who lived in a shoe.
1: Well, that's excellent.
0: Who's apparently a straight-up hoe bag
1: I think she had so many kids she didn't know what to do.
0: Yeah, but if you listen to Coco Melon, she's like, oh, like I'm, I'm a busy stay-at-home mom. And Andrew Dice Clay will tell you straight up, like, this chick was banging everyone. <laughs> oh,
1: I have to watch it. It sounds entertaining.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: so not the uh, not the best way to parent. A 17-month-old, but... You know
1: what? It sounds like a dose of reality.
0: You know, we do things a little differently around here. Sure do. And uh, I like to keep it real. Agreed. (laughs) Even if that's at the 17-month-old's expense.
1: As long as it's not at your expense, honey, then all is right in the world.
0: And if you've learned anything over the past three years, it's typically not at my expense. (laughs) Mentally, financially, never at my expense. It's good. Absolutely.
1: You're winning life.
0: <laughs> I sure am, darling. <laughs> Again, just look at that rock on your finger. That's right. Oh, good God. So, a couple of other housekeeping items. want to say thank you to, well, let's thank the sponsors.
1: That's a good idea.
0: Right? hmm So, thank you, Marlene Graphics. It's MarleneGraphics.com for all of your printing needs. And also, Realtor and a Baby. Realtorandababy.com for all of your real estate needs our next thank you goes out to all the listeners like cannot thank you enough Uh, the amount of feedback that we're getting the downloads we're continuing to see the numbers grow and it's not just you know 500 downloads an episode i mean it's 550 and then it jumps to 600 and then 650 and 700 so obviously we're growing not to stroke my ego too much but it's awesome
1: it is awesome
0: I mean, I think that we would still do this, maybe, if we had 100 people listening on a weekly basis. But the fact that we're obviously appealing to an audience and we're getting a ton of feedback on the So I Married an Alcoholic Gmail, also on the Instagram, which is So I Married an Alcoholic. And then we just started the So I Married an Alcoholic Facebook page. I mean, within the first week, we're at like three or 350 follows. Yeah. Like, that's amazing.
1: Yeah, it's really pretty awesome. So, thank you for listening and tell a friend or 27. Spread the word.
0: That's right. And make sure you follow us. Make sure you like us. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Audible or any of the other podcast streaming services that you can leave a review, hit five stars and leave us a review. Yes, please. It it takes literally 30 seconds of your life and it means a lot to us.
1: It really does.
0: And we really appreciate it. So tonight's going to be a little bit of a different episode or a little bit of a twist on things. Ooh. So we've been starting to get a lot of emails pertaining to, I don't know, more of the the story behind the story, if you will.
1: Yeah, it's funny. Um the one email we got when I went to write it back, I was like, oh, that's funny. I guess we've actually never really told our stories because we were there. We know what happened.
0: No. In that first episode, we kind of gave more of like the the quick six-month clip.
1: Yeah, of our story. Right. You know? And no- that
0: was just recently.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that was the story of our relationship, not necessarily the story of our lives prior. Um, And not that we're going to sit here and tell the whole life story, but we were thinking, well, you know, answer some questions and introduce some of those parts in.
0: And we're also, uh, well, I don't know about you, but like I'm definitely thrown off a little bit because we've printed out, you know, 15 or 20 of the emails here and wrote down some questions that we're going to answer tonight. But anyways, long story short, the lights are on in the studio. Yeah. And as you know, I'm an ambiance kind of guy.
1: I like a dark room, personally.
0: That's why we only make love at night. I agree. (laughs) I know.
1: It's funny. When Chris, like, grabs me in the kitchen, I'm like, um, it's 11 a.m. The sun is shining. This is not going down.
0: (laughs) There's also no blinds in the morning rooms. That's also very true. The neighbors can see. We apologize. I'm like, Annie i got two inches of fury the neighbors can't see anything (laughs) trust me
1: oh god except my tits dragging along the ground behind me (laughs) (laughs) oh at least you're cleaning the floor occasionally
0: boobs or not i don't really give a shit what you use
1: wait how about i've tried to get frankie to do did you notice that She has an obsession with rifling through a whole pack of wipes as you change your diaper. And so I let her keep like two of them. And then I'm like, go clean the floor now.
0: Like, keep going, girl.
1: Yeah. She gets like, you know, two square inches done. But, you know, eventually it'll all get done.
0: Well, that's two less square inches that I have to take care of. Exactly. What's the saying? Many hands make light work.
1: I've never heard that before. But I'm not a good sayings person. You know me, I butcher the hell out of them.
0: That's all good. Okay. I will teach you the ways.
1: I told you that's one of my biggest struggles with AA, so many sayings. (laughs) And I mess them up every time.
0: So many sayings and acronyms and
1: all this stuff. Listen,
0: the important thing that you need to remember about AA is don't pick up. That's right. That's it, if you can't grasp the acronyms, who gives a shit? I hear you. I mean, I do, cause like I'll tear you a new asshole. That's
1: just for sport.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's entertainment purposes only. <laughs> and you already have a new asshole, I was just so. gonna say. I guess the first question, which is probably the, the most poignant question. Uh, what got you hooked? I guess it's a two part question. So what got you hooked? And this I think pertains more to me, uh, drugs first or alcohol. Was one a gateway for another?
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, what got me hooked? Uh-huh. Uh, I think another part of that question, too, is like, was it slow or fast? That part would be easier, I think, for me to answer
0: since, uh, I, since I never did the drugs. Yeah. Well, tactically, it says, what got you hooked? Slow, fast, in between.
1: Okay. Perfect. Um, so, I would say, it's funny. I actually was like late to the alcoholic game. When you sit in AA, you hear most people being like, I took my first drink at nine years old. I was like probably a junior in high school which is like late, honestly, I would say I got hooked quick in the sense that I immediately became a binge drinker. Um, If I had one, I always had a million. I was always the girl that drank too much at the party. Um, But I, I was far from drinking every day or even that often, especially like, you know, we, I think like senior week in high school is the first time I drank consistently. Then I drank very consistently in college Um, and into my 20s Um, but I've talked about this before I stopped for about three years when I had my son right Um, and then I picked back up when he was about three and a half and things in my personal life were falling apart you know again it was kind of slow as a binge drinking episode here and then they became more frequent Um, but the end the last two months was a continuous drunk, every night, two bottles of wine, three bottles of wine, blackout. Mm -hmm. So it's funny, it went from, you know, say 17 years old to 33 years old till I got to the point of requiring a rehab, but I was (laughs) definitely alcoholic from the very first moment, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I mean, that obviously makes a lot of sense to me.
1: And when it went downhill, it went downhill quickly, rapid speed
0: typically does. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. So I would say that was for me. And again, drugs, I never really did them. Smoked pot here and there. But honestly, that was it. I, I. It wasn't my thing. All right, your turn.
0: So my story, not dissimilar in the sense that I think I took my first drink. It was after I got my license. So I, I don't know, probably 17 years old. And I say my first drink because I'm sure that You know, I probably had a sip of alcohol or something before that, right? yeah. That doesn't necessarily count. I think in the context of this answer, my first drink was at 17, and I took that first drink because I want to say it was my father, but it also could have been a girl. I'm not really sure, but for some reason, it's my father that sticks out. Hmm. Anywho, so we got into a fight. And again, at that time, we were running the bar slash restaurant and there was a whole cooler full of beer out in the back. And I think I grabbed, oh, God, I want to to say like a complete tool. It was like a hard cider, (laughs) (laughs) like a Zima. (laughs) So all of you that are like 35 plus, you you can all appreciate the, the Zima conversation. But anyways, a couple of sips into that Zima, my problem went away. Like I was no longer concerned with what that fight was about or how I was feeling or anything outside of. And this sort of set the tone for the next uh, 20 years of my life was that once I ingested that substance, not that long after, nothing mattered. That substance became the solution to all. All of my issues yeah and then I took my first I think I started smoking pot probably a couple of years after that and I don't I mean yes pot weed marijuana is a drug I don't think I, well I shouldn't say that I don't think I, I mean I'm totally going to belittle the people that went to rehab because like they smoked a lot of weed matter too You know, smoked a little pot here and there. And then I think when I was about 19, maybe it was a little bit earlier than that. Again, I I don't, (laughs) I don't necessarily remember dates exactly. But I want to say it was around that time I took my first Percocet. And Percocet was the love of my life. That made me feel so amazing. And it took away all of my issues and my struggles and my worries and everything else that I was dealing with at the moment. And the Percocet was a slow hook for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I would take like one, one perk while watching a movie, like with a friend or something like that. And then, of course, like anything else, it escalates, right? So, mm-hmm. probably six months into that, you know, I was taking two or three. And then two or three wouldn't work. And then it turned into 10. And then that wouldn't work and so on and so forth. And then probably, I don't know, maybe about the time I was 25 or so, I think OxyContin became a big drug up in like my area. Mm -hmm. And that's when things went or got out of control very quickly. Yeah, Like that was the first time I was uh, dope sick. And like I knew early on that there was no control But I think when I stepped it up from Percocet to Oxycontin, I think that's when I knew that there was just, there was no turning back.
1: That's when you lost all control. Like,
0: yeah, like I couldn't just take a couple one night and then wake up the next morning and be fine. Like that's when that drug started to consume me, if you will, right? Yeah. And then that, you know, obviously spiraled out of control very quickly. Yeah you know, many rehabs. I've been to rehab. I think we talked about this in the first show seven or eight times total.
1: Yeah. When was the first time you went?
0: Kind of counts, but it kind of doesn't count. So the first time I went to rehab again, I don't remember exactly how old I was, but again, it was probably going to be somewhere around that 25, 26 year old mark, something like that. And I walked into the rehab and I was I think I talked about this in the you first did. episode, yeah. like I was, you know, dressed in my business suit and like I had all those hallmark signs of a of a drug addict, but I didn't look like one.
1: So you walked yourself right out.
0: And to me, that was all the convincing that I needed. I was like, well, <laughs> I mean, if I don't look like these people, then I'm not one of these people. Yeah. It took me a long time to realize that I don't look like those people, but I am those people yeah like through and through
1: i think that's one of the most amazing things to um with aa there's so many different people from so many walks of life but every single person is like at the core exactly the same if that makes sense
0: i mean yeah you're absolutely right and Again, it took me a long time to realize that. And I think that's one of those hallmark signs of the alcoholic slash addict is the denial piece.
1: Oh, definitely.
0: I think a lot of people, you know, think of denial in terms like, oh, you know, I'm okay. Like, I can control it. Like, I didn't have any issues understanding that part of it. I knew I wasn't okay. Mm -hmm. Almost from, you know. The first couple of weekends that I started to use opiates, like, I knew I was not okay. I knew I couldn't control it. I knew that it was, like, too good of a feeling for me to turn down. But in terms of the denial aspect specifically even considering all of those things, I can't control it, you know, uh, I'm okay, blah, 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 whatever else I told myself to convince myself that I wasn't an addict, like me rationalizing it was like, well, I don't look like them. Yeah. I didn't grow up in those neighborhoods. Like I'm fine. Yeah. So that for me was like the denial portion of it, right?
1: I remember sitting in rehab and it was funny, it was like there was this kid there and he was young and he's like a little rough around the edges. Actually, he's doing exceptionally well, which is a whole nother story. But he we're sitting there and there's a bunch of people and he said something like made some comment like, well, maybe if I went to fancy schools and got a degree, I'd be fine, too. And I was like, I mean, we're sitting at the same table. <laughs> you know what I mean? I got all the degrees, man, right here at the table.
0: That's I mean, that's one of those things. Uh, drugs. Alcohol does not discriminate
1: No, It does. Doesn't
0: care about your pedigree or how much money mummy and daddy have or where you went to school or what rehab you went to. It will.
1: It'll easily destroy your life. Yeah.
0: Like it will take you down.
1: All right. So let me ask you a couple questions. First, sure. Well, first of all, I'm super resentful right now because your answer is so much better than mine.
0: I mean, they usually are. I
1: know. I liked I just did like a little timeline. It was so surface. Well, I'll, you know. have to, I'll have to dive a little deeper at I, some point.
0: As we all know, you have the real job in this relationship, <laughs> so I just I do nothing but sit at home and you know watch Netflix and chill all day. So you know I have, to, <laughs> I have time to research these answers in my brain. <laughs>
1: You've practiced, no? Anyway, so a couple questions for you. Um, sure. So number one, yeah, you always talk about the opiates, right? Because mm-hmm. I, well, I mean, personally, I think it's because you think it makes you a cool guy.
0: But... I don't think it makes me a cool guy. I just think you're a pussy because all you did (laughs) was drink organic box wine. Like... If you're going to ruin your life, do it with something, like, fun. See, but that doesn't appeal to me at all. I don't know why, but anyway. Neither do basic bitches and pumpkin spice latte and apple cider donuts appeal to me, but here we are. That's right. Thriving. (laughs) Ask the goddamn question.
1: So anyway, at one point you had told me, and this was even just in passing, Mm -hmm. um, you had said to me something like, oh, I was another time I was in rehab, and that was actually just for alcohol that time. So I think that's actually something you should talk about a little bit because, you know, we're so I married an alcoholic. We follow AA. Um, I think you hang your hat on your issue being opiates, but there was definitely an alcohol problem, would you say?
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've, you know, like the typical alcoholic, I've gotten a DUI. Uh, I was outside of my house, sitting in my car. There was... (laughs) Not that it's funny, but I mean, it kind of is funny. But when I got arrested, there was something like 200-something, I I believe you people in this area call them airplane
1: bottles.
0: (laughs) Where I'm from, we call them nips. Oh, yeah. But I believe that's also a a slang for Chinese people, so I I think we have to steer away from that.
1: Take that part back. Go on.
0: Okay. Uh, So, yeah, no, it's not that I thought that I could control alcohol more It's just that I believe at that point in time, I was clean from opiates for, I want to say a year, and alcohol seemed easier to control Mm -hmm. because it was more socially acceptable.
1: Sure. So you were just the drunk fun guy then
0: at the bar? No, I never went out to the bar.
1: Oh, really? You were an at-home drinker all the time?
0: At that point, yes.
1: Oh, it's interesting. Oh, yeah. Where were you living?
0: I was living with uh, my brother Rick up in North Jersey.
1: Oh, okay. Yep. I I mean, is it wrong that I don't know the answers to all these questions? No. No. I mean, I think
0: we've shared. Maybe we should have, like, talked about this, you know, before we got legally bound to each other but I mean not that it changes anything
1: before we like dated for three months moved into with each other three months later got engaged and a couple months after that got married
0: yeah exactly
1: and popped a kid out
0: I was going to say and then popped a kid out (laughs) got a new asshole seven
1: and a half months later
0: all that good stuff yeah Uh, no I mean as a matter of fact I'm sure there are things that I have not told you and and not because I was ever trying to keep those from you Um, I think if we're you know putting all of our cards on the table right here i have probably been the most honest with you in terms of not sort of hiding like the highlights if you will and what i mean by highlights is like the really really dark bad shit that i've done yeah you know like you know all my demons yeah as a matter of fact i think i told those to you on like our second date because i wasn't really trying to like go anywhere with this really like hoping i would scare you off What's your next question?
1: Oh, I think I was going to talk about the pot. Mm -hmm. Because you used to smoke a lot of pot back then. You've told me before. Love pot. It's funny because we talked about that with like marijuana being legalized and stuff like that. Like I like to smoke pot once in a while when I was in college, but that was never like an addictive thing for me. I never thought about it. It was one of those things like if it was at a party and, you know, we were talking about it and I was like, I could almost see the appeal like smoke a little pop before bed and fall asleep, you know, not that we would do that because we live a sober life. But you had actually said to me when I said that, you're like, maybe you could do that. You're like, but I'd be like three days later doing bong rips in the family room.
0: Absolutely. I would literally be building like a water bong <laughs> in the garage and then piped it all the way up to the bedroom. Because again, I'm just a sick fuck like that. But no, I cannot control. Uh, and again, I think I do this with coffee. Yeah, sure. I do this with cigarettes. I do this with Red Bull. I was never a recreational pot smoker.
1: Yeah, it's so interesting.
0: Maybe for like the first week.
1: And then that was it.
0: But again, I liked how it made me feel. Yeah. Like it provided a solution you know, yeah. I was never a like, oh, I'm going to go buy a dime bag and it's going to last me a week. No, like right. the, what normal people would purchase in terms of like a bag of weed that would last them a month. I would also plan on it lasting me a month. And if it's Friday, uh, all of that is gone by Sunday and I'm, you know, sucking dick in a back alley to buy a bag of weed. Like that's where my addiction takes me.
1: Not exactly there.
0: Well, no. (laughs) I'd never suck (laughs) dick in the back alley. I'd make him take me to the Ritz. (laughs) So wrong. (laughs) You're sick man. But now (laughs) I don't, you know, I don't do anything recreationally, which is, again, I, I think we talked about this in that first episode, my stepmother. Uh, credit to Jude, always used to tell me like, why can you not just find some sort of outlet and apply yourself in the same manner that you do searching for the drugs, the alcohol, the next high? And I think I would never say that I regret like my usage. I regret, you know, some of the, the shitty situations that I found myself in and... You know, things of that nature, but in some sick and twisted way, I also think that I was able to find that miracle, i.e. recovery or sobriety, and turn those negative traits into positive traits. Yeah. You know? So
1: interestingly enough, when I had my little three-year blip of sobriety, uh, which I wouldn't even call sobriety, I just wasn't drinking, because it's not like I had a program or anything like that.
0: Which is, before you, you know, ride off into the sunset on your high horse over there, I I do want to just say that if not drinking is good enough for some people- Oh, definitely. Like, that's fine.
1: A hundred percent.
0: You know? I come from a place of, and not that I'm trying to, you know, shit on you or rain on your parade or anything like that, but I come from a place of abstinence isn't enough for me. Right. Like, I need to work a program. I need to try to the best of my ability to make amends and try to make up for some of the wrong shit that I've done in my life.
1: Yeah, I agree with all of that.
0: I need, you know, a higher power because I can assure you I cannot do this alone. Yeah. You know.
1: No, I agree with all of that. That's all right, I'm sorry not where inter- I was going at I'm all. I'm sorry actually. to interrupt okay. you. Go ahead. Thank you for your words of wisdom. My pleasure. Um, no, I, so during that three-year stretch, right, where I was not drinking, I was, my son was three months old. I went back to school full-time for my master's and still worked night shifts. I was absolutely addicted. It just wasn't putting alcohol in my body. Mm-hmm. I didn't sleep for three years. Like I. Right was an insane person i got <laughs> absolute straight a's i kicked ass at school i studied i wrote papers so people look at that as like i mean my dad used to be like Megan's superwoman she goes to clinical all day and then goes home and makes a dinner and cookies for the bake sale and then goes to work overnight and then repeats it the next day right right probably was not healthy it was an obsession in its own right sure if that makes sense so i i really just in you know Chose something else in yeah, you're place just of another.
0: Substituting, you know, career, education, whatever it is, instead of.
1: Right. So, you know, although that looks like amazing on the outside, you know, my marriage imploded shortly after because I had let everything suffer except what I was super focused on.
0: Right. So, makes that, total sense.
1: That's where I was going with that. I got you. All right.
0: When did you know your drinking was out of control?
1: That's so interesting. So I, you know, was very resistant. It's funny. I think we're opposite in this sense. You knew, you say almost immediately, you had a problem.
0: I knew in the back of my mind that this way I was not traveling a good road. But at the same time, I was like, well, I really like the way it makes me feel. And let me tell you something. Like, if you go out and you get tanked tonight, You wake up tomorrow, you feel like shit for a couple hours, right? Mm -hmm. When you start to build up a tolerance to opiates, you don't just wake up and feel like shit for a couple hours. Like the only three things that are going to fix you are time, which means you're dope sick for, you know, seven to 10 days. Mm -hmm. And that's like having the flu and getting hit by a truck and having an elephant sit on your chest at the same time. Mm Uh, The other option is, of course, more drugs because that's an instant fix. And the other option is some sort of rehab, you know, program, facility, medical intervention.
1: Yeah, for a proper detox.
0: Right, exactly. So I I knew, you know, after that first time that I got dope sick, like that once that train was in motion, like the wheels were falling off.
1: Yeah, so I don't think I knew... Or maybe my denial was just that fierce. I don't even think I really thought I was an alcoholic in rehab. You know, I wasn't sure how I got there, but everything was so out of control in my life that it was nice to have a 28 day break. Yeah. You know, like I, get I, that. I didn't realize that I was a true alcoholic until I was six months out of rehab. And I realized at that moment in my life, you know, I've said this before that I would have chosen everything, or, and I would have chosen alcohol over everything in my life mm-hmm. family, friends, my kids, like it, everything. And that's when I finally realized it and start to do the work. But I was an alcoholic from day one. I was an alcoholic before I picked up my first drink. You know, I did everything in my life alcoholically. I, you know, was an overachiever. I was this, everything was always. To the extreme, if that makes sense. Sure does. So it was funny. I actually wanted to do this funny bit. Like all I kept this week I had a big revelation.
0: (laughs) Oh, Jesus Christ.
1: (laughs) And that is, uh, well, so I count calories, right? For better or worse. Um, I know that no matter what's going on in my life, a drink will not make it better. I'm yet to be convinced that an extra five pounds won't fix it. And I know that's unhealthy, (laughs) but that is completely honest, and we can delve into that in another episode, because I'm sure that'll reach other people. But the point is, like, you know, so that's still something I participate in alcoholically. But this week, I realized that queso only has 40 calories in it. Queso? Yes, like the jar of orange cheese mixed
0: with salsa. Oh, no, no, no. I'm very familiar with the queso.
1: Two tablespoons for 40 calories. That's less than salad dressing, like even a diet salad dressing. Really? Yeah, you're ordering, like I, here I am at the restaurant, I'll take a side salad with balsamic. No, I'll take with queso next time. <laughs> and in fact, in fact, You can have 13 tortilla chips and two tablespoons of queso for 190 calories. That's less than a kind bar. Like, I have been doing it wrong my whole life.
0: You're actually a sick fuck. I am a sick fuck. Legitimately charted this out in your head.
1: No, I haven't. I've thought about it all week. And I've eaten an enormous amount of queso or two tablespoons a day.
0: And see, so this is why you're an even larger asshole than I had originally (laughs) anticipated. Because when we got married... I wanted a nacho cheese fountain (laughs) just because I am straight up white trash derelict and I knew that that would have upset your, you know, parents, whatever. Yes. So I just wanted a nacho cheese fountain.
1: I know, but I didn't know then. And you were like,
0: no. Because
1: normally I try to eat really healthy and by the time I'm eating, dipping my finger in the queso jar to get the rest out of the lid, the wheels have already fallen off. So I don't even want to know. I finally looked for the first time the other day. My life has changed forever. So you're welcome, all listeners out there. There's no need for the light Italian salad dressing anymore. Queso's got your back.
0: So I, I look at, while I appreciate the fact that there's only 40 calories and two tablespoons of queso, <laughs> I don't live like that. I know. I live like an alcoholic, and if there's a you know slight chance of me dying tomorrow, which, you know, let's face it, pack a day, unhealthy amount of caffeine. Yeah. It's not out of the realm of possibilities. If I want to have 17 fucking honey buns today, I'm going for it. <laughs> like, I'm living my best life. I don't care.
1: That's smart.
0: We'll, we'll, we'll work on, you know, the the outcomes tomorrow.
1: I don't know what who who is like winning that race there on who's
0: more recovered.
1: You know what I mean? Like is it me and my insanity or you and your unhealthy behaviors? Well, they're both unhealthy.
0: Yeah, they're both unhealthy.
1: That's what I mean. We're a hot mask still.
0: But like listen, if if I stroke out later on or if I have a heart attack, like there's, you know, a cardiac cath lab 5 minutes <laughs> up the road.
1: I don't think a good one.
0: Nobody's fixing your fucking (laughs) queso addiction at two o'clock in the morning. I'm just saying. I know. Live and be happy, people. That's the bottom line here. I know.
1: True story. You want to do another question? Let's do it. All right. You pick.
0: Here's a good one. Ooh. So people often talk about triggers. Do you have any? Do you believe you have them? Or is it more about recognizing your patterns of behavior?
1: So I think, as alcoholics,
0: I can be triggered by anything. Oh,
1: was that your answer?
0: I hate it when you steal my answer.
1: Damn, that's because it was the right one. I buzzed in first. Family Feud, winning it, number one answer. Ninety nine percent of alcoholics say they're triggered by everything.
0: It one hundred percent is the correct answer. Like I don't need you know a a bad event i don't need a good event i don't need a reason or an excuse to pick up a drink or drug um i can wake up in the morning and think to myself that the sun has risen today i deserve a drink
1: yeah definitely triggered by everything
0: bad day at work well i can go have a drink
1: i think for
0: fight with the wife i deserve a drink totally you know? So
1: then do you view view a trigger as uh excuse?
0: I don't. Okay. Um for me there are no excuses.
1: That's what I'm saying. Like, do you think people that are like, Oh, what I was triggered by that do you think that's like total BS?
0: I think that's a way for people to sort Rationalize of Rationalize it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I I know for me that there are no second opportunities. There's no, I can just go have a beer tonight. Like, unfortunately, in my, you know, two decade run of drugs and alcohol, I have learned that there is just no, I'm going to have one drink to celebrate blank. Yeah. I'm going to have one drink to relieve the stress.
1: So I think when you talk about like, is it a trigger, a pattern of behavior, I actually think not that it's neither or it's both. I think that as alcoholics, we want to take a drink, you know, I mean, we're lucky enough that some days we wake up and we don't, but our go to the back of the mind is always going to be that we want it. So it's really just a controlling behavior, changing behavior, working a program, you know, that lessens those feelings. And we then do make the choice not to pick up. Yes. Um, you know, people say, oh, they had the choice. They didn't have the choice, blah, blah, blah. Maybe an active addiction. But at this point in our recovery, uh, to pick up a drink tomorrow is a 100% a choice.
0: Uh, I agree with you. Absolutely. It, and as far as the whole, you know, I think that's the age old question or like one of those the first thing that people throw out there when they see somebody suffering in addiction is like, oh, well, they had a choice, fuck them.
1: So I think it's, this may sound bad, but I don't actually think it's my fault that I'm an alcoholic. I think that's genetic. I think it's chemical. I think it's a real disease. Um, but now that I know I'm an alcoholic and I've done things um, to treat my alcoholism, it is my fault if I pick up a drink tomorrow. Does that make sense?
0: I agree. I I think it's the same thing as, you know, if you go to the doctors one day and you're told that you have diabetes and if you consume 17 Snickers bars, and by the way, Snickers, pay me for that plug, then you, there's going to be a consequence for that, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. When, it's funny. when, Or I'm, if
0: you don't take your insulin.
1: Yeah. When I was in rehab, leading up to rehab, a lot of bad things had happened in my personal life. And actually, the counselor I had, who was absolutely spectacular said to me um do i think you would have always ended up here and she said yeah i think you're an alcoholic i think you've always been an alcoholic Mm -hmm. i think you controlled it for a very long time and maybe everything else that was going on on the outside uh projected you quicker into this rehab Mm -hmm. um but you would have ended up here no matter what you're an alcoholic and i thought that was kind of like an interesting thing you know i didn't choose to be an alcoholic but now i get to choose every day whether or not i am a practicing alcoholic or practicing recovery i like that yeah
0: i think that's a great answer
1: thank you you're welcome did i beat you this time
0: no you never do
1: damn
0: i'm an an alcoholic
1: (laughs) i thought you took question number one maybe i got question number two should we do a tiebreaker or do you want to say more about this
0: I mean, I I, I don't want to beat the whole, you know, is it a choice thing or not? Yeah. Again, I think it's like anything else. Like if you choose to eat 25 Snickers bars every day, it's going to catch up to you at some point. The difference is if you pick up a <laughs> Snickers bar and eat X amount of them for the next, you know, six months, are you going to gain weight? Sure. Are you going to, like, rob a bank because you've now sold (laughs) every human possession that you've uh, accumulated for the past, uh, you know, however many years?
1: It's possible.
0: I mean, it is possible. But, I mean, I think that's where the whole choice thing gets thrown out the window. It may be a choice to pick up initially. After a while, it consumes you in every way possible. And it does not become a choice. So, and we... It becomes a way of life.
1: Yeah, when you're in active addiction, absolutely. I think, too, here's an interesting way to look at it. Rather than looking at it as triggers, I can see the pattern of behavior. Because before that first drink is picked up, and we've talked about this before, there's steps that happen before. The relapse,
0: before the relapse. Yes. Mm -hmm. So
1: that is something that, and I think that we're trying to do as a couple, too, is recognize that prior. There's things that I'm going to do that are unhealthy prior to picking up a drink, mm-hmm. like obsessively counting those calories to the point of no return. Like, you know what I mean? There's there's things that I do beforehand, like my moods getting uh, more up and down. Like, you know what I mean? And I think there's mm-hmm. in that sense there's behavior, so you almost know it's coming.
0: Yes, and I think that's part of the. Again, this is a young marriage for us. Yes. I mean, we've only been married for, it'll be, what, two years in October? Yeah, crazy. Two years, actually, in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Happy two years, bitch. I know, we're almost here. Good for you. How about it? Anyhow. uh, You're definitely winning that one. (laughs) Damn right. (laughs) I do think that... It's easier for us as a couple to pick up on each other's, you know, sort of traits and things like that. But I I also think that's still an active part of the learning curve for us.
1: Yeah, I think we're still dancing around that. When we talk about, you know, when we go back to episode 11 and the Guns N' Roses concert, I said, you know, leading up to it, I knew something was wrong. And yet Mm -hmm. I didn't say anything, right? In the back of my mind, I thought, he's either going to cheat on me or he's going to relapse and die. And I sat there eating my dinner at Budokan.
0: Counting the calories.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Calories didn't count that weekend. But anyway, that's (laughs) what I mean, right? (laughs) Like, why wasn't my ass driving up there to Lancaster, you know? So I think that's still, not that it's my responsibility, but I think... In a way, we are responsible to each other in that sense.
0: I think to a certain extent, yes, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, if I, if I, God forbid, pick up tomorrow that drastically, I, I can assure you things are never going to be the same because I'm, I'm not going to go to the bar and, and have a couple of beers with the guys mm-hmm. like I'm going to go trade in your car for a bunch of dope. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So like that's not something that we could necessarily recover from so to speak but I I do think to a certain extent that as a married couple and as two alcoholics working towards a common goal and I think that that daily common goal is to not pick up mm-hmm. I think you know we do have a responsibility to each other to recognize those behaviors or at the very least, like if if I'm not picking up on a behavior that you're radiating or whatever, I think it's my job at the very least to be like, hey, something's not right. What's going on? Yeah. And also I think that, and not that I think it's ever gotten there, I think I've sort of tried to do this on a couple of occasions, but I am, again, not the best communicator. So I think it comes off, as a, like more of me being an asshole mm-hmm. instead of me just being like hey something's not right with you like what's going on let's talk about it
1: well and i think too so yeah you may come off as an asshole with it and so do i um but i think too we both need to work on individually getting better at receiving that too knowing that actually comes from a piece of love and respect yes and not be super alcoholic defensive. hmm You know what I mean? So I think that's a huge thing. Like, you know, I sat there eating my dinner at the Buddha Con because I didn't want to deal with the fallout of calling you out on your bullshit.
0: Little Miss Megan sat on her tuffet, <laughs> eating with, her curds and whey.
1: With the golden Buddha behind me.
0: Along came a spider and sat down beside her. It said, what's in the bowl, bitch?
1: Was that in your nursery rhymes you learned today? That was. Oh, that's good. I like it, hun. Yeah.
0: So yeah, no, I agree with you completely on that, on that, or in that sense.
1: Yeah. All right. You want to do one more question tonight? This is a little different, a little off topic. Oh. Your kids are adorable. Are you going to have any more? Fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. I've been thinking about that a lot lately.
0: That's concerning.
1: Not in that way.
0: Uh, I mean, our kids are adorable, but that doesn't mean the third one's going to come out as <laughs> spectacular.
1: No, it's funny. I was actually talking about this again today at work, and it, I think I can put my um, like alcoholism and recovery like in that space too. Like when I think about it, I love babies i love babies i love to hold them i like them when they're little and they don't want to do anything but lay in your arms i love babies i don't think chris likes them like that but that's all right and so every day that frankie does something like new and adorable and oftentimes annoying i get sad because i'm never going to hold a baby again
0: i mean so you can get a job at (laughs) a nursery
1: and rock the babies
0: um, there are many different places that you can volunteer at. Sure. It doesn't necessarily mean that we have to have another one for you to feel those sort of feelings.
1: So here's where right. I'm going with it, though. I actually think that it speaks tremendously to where we're at in recovery or where I'm at in recovery. I, this probably has nothing to do with you whatsoever. You don't want any more babies because, like, you're overwhelmed with just having one. Yeah. I have, we have two healthy children.
0: Ah. We are
1: up there in age.
0: Ooh. I
1: had a very rough pregnancy with Frankie. Yeah. And like uh, semi dangerous at times.
0: Not for nothing, but I also had a rough pregnancy with Frankie because I had to deal with your bullshit for nine months. (laughs) Let's not forget that.
1: I was actually not that bad.
0: Like, you got a new you asshole? You know what but bad like, is.
1: Yeah, I got a new asshole.
0: Let's talk about the day that you couldn't find your slippers. That and was a day. You legitimately freaked out on Mac and I. Like I screaming, did. Screaming, Where are my
1: fucking slippers? I do, but that's not that bad.
0: And you know me. Like, I I'm not a. Well, let me help you find them, darling. I am more of a, well, if you didn't live like a goddamn slob, you'd find your fucking slippers. I wasn't that bad. So we're not having another child. End of conversation.
1: Okay, so I had good things to say about this. Go ahead. So what I'm saying is, I think it speaks a lot to my recovery personally. Number one, I don't need to just accumulate babies to love me unconditionally. (laughs) 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 That is a sick thing. But true.
0: <laughs> Why don't we just collect more bird dogs?
1: Right? I, well, maybe. So you do still need the things to love you unconditionally, I guess. But I don't need that, number one. Number two, I also can recognize our limitations. We have enough money, patience, time, space for the two kids we
0: have. Barely.
1: I think that one more child would rock this boat potentially to the point of no return.
0: I agree with you completely
1: and I think the fact that we can work on who we are still have time for ourselves and each other because Chris and I believe it or not like spending time together just us yes and be able to be there to emotionally support just the two kids we have like some people can have four, five, six, seven kids and do that we are just not capable.
0: No, and, and again, I agree with the whole limitations part. Like, I do not have the patience to add another child into this mix. I also don't have the time, literally. Yeah. Um, physically, mentally. I cannot handle another child.
1: So I think that actually speaks a lot to our recovery, if that makes sense. At least to mine. I would I would collect babies to make myself feel good about myself otherwise.
0: Yeah, no. I I have a lot of pride in the fact that it took me 40 years and thousands of women to just create <laughs> one child. So like I mean, as far as I'm concerned, like I've I've done well.
1: That you've reached the pinnacle?
0: Yes. I just now, like you said, I don't necessarily think there's a need to rock the boat. And I don't know if that has anything necessarily to do with my recovery as much as it has to do with, like you just said, we are extremely blessed in the fact that we have two beautiful, healthy children and we have the appropriate amount of, I'm just going to say resources. Yeah. I, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to fall into you know a financial box or a time space box or something like that like we just have the appropriate resources to dedicate to those two children and there is absolutely no need to stress ourselves out even further
1: no i agree you know i know
0: like we're in a great place and despite you know all of our quarrels and stuff like that I do think like what you just said, throwing a third child into the mix would just be, again, something I don't think we could ever recover from.
1: No, and I think that like... I think that's a dynamic changer. I think maybe that self-awareness is important or speaks to growth.
0: Uh, yeah i mean so yeah maybe that is a part of the recovery thing because if i had met you 20 years ago and you were like oh let's have a third kid i'd be like let's fucking do it i can do anything i'll take on the world right now and give me some cocaine right (laughs) (laughs) you know yeah so maybe in that aspect yes it does i think speak to our recovery like we're starting to learn our limits yeah um i also think that you know to there's still a lot of growth opportunity. Definitely. In in the limits column, if you will. Yeah. We you get know? very close
1: to the edge often. <laughs> very
0: close. I mean that's, you know, that's just how we roll. All
1: right. You got anything else?
0: No, I think that went well. Okay. I feel we would be remiss if we did not mention that we are still on the search for the Sasquatch. Uh, Cockmaster Cockmaster misses you us- mr. Sasquatch absolutely and again I'm going to beat a dead horse on this one if you would please just leave us a review on the iTunes or whatever podcasting streaming service you currently subscribe to uh, follow us on the Facebook page follow us on the so I married an alcoholic uh, Instagram page and please, by all means, tell your friends and coworkers and any businesses looking to sponsor us.
1: And anyone that will listen.
0: Anybody. We don't care. We want all the listens.
1: <laughs> We're, we may not be collecting children, but we will collect
0: listens. We will collect downloads. Absolutely.
1: Um, and we are still also looking for a mental health professional. Someone that works... Um, in the psych field, somehow doing drug and alcohol counseling, mental health counseling, dual diagnosis would be awesome. Um, anyone yeah. that's willing to, like, take the leap of faith and sit next to us or across from us at our desk here and answer some questions, yeah, offer we would some really sort appreciate of, that you know
0: qualified opinion outside of oh. you know Megan and I, because again, we can talk about experiences that we both have. But I think it gives people sort of a different spin on things when it comes from uh, a place of academia, if that makes sense.
1: No. So I think that's important. It's funny when I talk to my patients who are like young girls and going through something like an eating disorder, a breakup, a depression, I always say to them like, I'm a nurse practitioner. I am not a counselor. Mm-hmm. I can offer you advice as a woman who's been through many things, as a mom who loves her kids. Um, I can give you all that advice. I cannot give you advice, mental health advice. I can't, I can't give you, like, that's for the counselor to do. And I think sure. it's the same with this. We can tell you and talk to you about what it's like to be an alcoholic, what, how we found recovery, but we can't speak beyond that. We can only speak for our story.
0: Exactly. And again, I think it would be a great conversation to have with somebody who's in the field that we can sort of, you know, play off of with yeah. the answers. Like you get both sides of it, right? Definitely. So, yeah, if you're in the mental health field, please send us an email, so I married an alcoholic at gmail.com. We'd love to have you on the show.
1: All right. You got anything else, babe?
0: That's it, baby. Happy 18th birthday, So I Married an Alcoholic. All right. Say good night, darling.
1: I'm Megan and I'm an alcoholic.
0: I'm Chris and I'm an alcoholic. Thank you for listening and uh, cut off your pet's privates. And please, if you're struggling in any way, put your hand up, reach out, ask for help.